I, Charles the Fourth, or is it the Third? Bloody pain. We will strive for the detoxification of the Let me put it to you. Just a concrete. Yes, if you win by one, you've won. The phone went over the side. It is time to draw him up. I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to the 100th episode of my podcast where I still find myself asking the question, despite having asked it 99 times already, what the fuck is going on? Uh, Hello, this is a a special edition. Well, they're all all editions of what the fuck is going on a special, but this one's especially not in a nice special way, but in a way, you know, unique. Should we say unique? In that, it's a little bit cancery with me having uh, a little bit of cancer that they're sort of digging out. If you want to know the details of that, it's all in episode 99. And, uh, oh, I won't tell you how it ends up because that will be a spoiler. Uh, But it's all in there. And... Uh, so I'm having this little bit of surgery at the moment, which is, uh, I don't know, they're not too worried about it, but, you know, they, well, of course they're not. By the time you listen to this, I will probably be having surgery or I've just had surgery or something. I don't think it's all that dramatic, but uh, <clears throat> obviously it is if it's if you're me. And But, I don't know, they've got to take this thing out or something. And then I'm not going to be able to um, uh, just speak with the full range of my voice for a for a, a few days apparently so uh i don't know I, I would imagine that what will happen is that uh i'll be trying to do the podcast next week and i'll be saying uh this week <clears throat> if, if we look at what um what has been going on in the world and then some i'll just look up and see the news and uh, they'll find a, a cure for it immediately because i'll go how much how much have they fucking spunked up the wall 50 squillion trillion billion fucking megatons of fucking money what you could have paid every not only could you have paid every single nurse doctor radiologist cleaner caterer and fucking anybody who went near a hospital their full demand and more and given them all a curry but you could have paid people who aren't nurses you could have just paid fucking random people the doctor's bloody demand of a 25 percent rise even if they're not doctors just like my mum dogs anybody you could have paid fucking everybody the full demand of train drive you could give the fucking train drivers the doctor's demand and the doctors the train drivers demand as well and still have enough left over for us the whole country to fucking go somewhere not manchester that take too long it's not high speed train but go i don't know go to italy and just on a stag weekend all 70 million british people and still have loads of money left over you fucking wasteful twats and the doctor will say, but you seem to be fine, Mr. Still. Uh, nonetheless, uh, apparently my voice will... <laughs> the doctor said my voice is likely to uh, change a little bit. I don't know how much. I mean, uh, but um, anyway, someone very much of my acquaintance at the time said, uh, oh, that'll be fun. You'll probably start sounding like Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> so the next episode of this podcast will probably start... What the fuck appears to be going on? 
And I will read that again in Latin. Oh, what the fuck is going on? Many people take great encouragement from the way in which the NHS is making progress in treating and curing diseases such as cancer. But not everyone is so happy about it, especially this woman who I heard on a phone-in show. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy, sick of it. All these people getting treated for cancer on the NHS. I haven't got cancer. Why should I have to pay for that? I've got an itch on my back. I can't reach it. But does the NHS pay for a bear to come round and scratch it? Oh, no. Different then. I read in the paper the local hospitals just paid £200,000 for one of those cat scan machines. How much money are they wasting scanning cats? They'll be happy with some leftover chicken. You know what'll happen next. There'll be people deliberately getting cancer just so they can have a go on it. They could have spent that money getting rid of the pigeons that shit on my windowsill, but oh no, the woke brigade won't let me poison them. And now they're giving these cancer patients radiotherapy. Oh, so they get to sit around listening to Magic FM all day whilst we have to pay for it. We're a laughing stock, Jeremy. No wonder all these migrants are coming over from France saying they've got cancer of the dinghy so the lifeboats have to rescue them. Straight to the top of the waiting list they go. Oh, yeah, there was one of them foreigners in there the other day. Fifty of us in the waiting room. He went straight in. I said to the receptionist, why don't you stop him jumping the queue? She said he's the doctor. I said, how do you know he's not a terrorist? He's even got a beard. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy. Sick of it. Now, as anybody knows, it is not possible to work out what the fuck is going on when you've got cancer unless you've got expert advice. People have tried, but... uh, God, how do I introduce this? I'll be honest, this isn't something I've ever had to do before. Anyway, I'm very lucky to have with me Angela Barnes. (laughs) With my incredibly inexpert opinions. Here I am. Well, no, well, um, it's been my pleasure to be sat in rooms with people who are considerably less experts than you (laughs) in recent weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Well, one of the things is when you have, um, uh, because you worked in the NHS for... Sometime. I did for a bit, yeah. Not not for that long, but I did, yeah, I did my nurse training and worked in the NHS on and off uh, for, yeah, for a while. Oh, you must have some stories. Oh, I've got some stories. Oh, I bet you use that in your comedy, don't oh. you? That's what they say. Yeah. yeah. Oh, then we lost a syringe and oh, then oh. a woman sat on it. She was 106. <laughs> <laughs> she thought she was a pelican for the next day. So one of the things I was sort of almost quite jealous of, Angela, at the start of all this business when I was going backwards and forwards to hospitals, and over the last few weeks I've probably been about an average of three times yeah. a week, is the, just knowing the layout of a hospital, because I've hardly ever been. Yeah. I, I mean, kids were born and then they were sort of, you know, all kids have a peculiar illness where they turn a sort of, turn bright purple or something. <laughs> you don't you. know what it is. Nobody ever finds it. Yeah. yeah, and you never find out what it, what it is and then they're all right or something and it turns out they become 90% sulfur for half an hour <laughs> and nobody knows why. And then, um, uh, uh, but th- things like that, and I've broke a finger or two playing cricket, mm. and that's about that's about it, really. So just the sheer layout of it for me is a is completely it be mute. Even when I visit people, I had to visit Elliot last year. Well, I, had to visit, I didn't know he was in the bloody hospital. He rang yeah. me to tell me he'd had an operation in the you afternoon. What worry his nuts you? Honestly, and- what are you? 
Boys, what, what are you like? Oh, I'll t- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Absolutely. I will come to a crucial thing. Remind me if yeah. I forget, right, about exactly that. Yeah. So, uh, and I had to rush up to the local kebab shop because he wanted a kebab and drive <laughs> into it. So, and then I got, that was in Kings, and I got lost, totally lost. And I was thinking, oh, should I eat this fucking kebab because it's going to be wasted? And it was just sort of, but just that is so confusing and intimidating about a hospital. It's always struck me, and I don't know why they do it, but they, with hospitals, particularly ones that are on more than one level, what they like to do is make every level look identical. Yes. And so if you if you go up a flight of stairs, you're buggered. That's it. Because, yeah. you know, you don't know what way you're facing anymore and every corridor looks the same. And a lot of the big hospitals, they will colour code it. But that doesn't help you if you're not aware of what the colour code is. Like, no one hands you a key when you walk in and says, this is the colour code and how it works. You just got to work it out, you know. And I, you, part of, when I was a student nurse, you'd obviously do placements in different hospitals. Yeah. And so I'd be as lost as the patients because I'm walking <laughs> in for the first time. But I'm wearing a nurse's uniform. So people would say to you, how do I get to audiology or whatever? And I'd be like, I've no idea. I look, just, You just look like the world's rudest nurse. <laughs> you know? You're like, I'm as clueless as you are, mate. I'll follow you and we'll see what happens. You know? Yeah, it's probably best to find a trolley, sit in it and wait till someone pushes you somewhere, yeah, exactly, have an operation exactly. and then see what it is they've taken out. Just hope they've got the right bit out of instinct, you know. <laughs> so. I've got a bit put in my heart. <laughs> I, Lucky I, you, there's people waiting ages for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, it's, I know it's so confusing. And when you're sort of, uh, I mean, I can quite easily get lost in my own house. You know, my house isn't yeah, that big for, for people who haven't been here. But it's, it, I can just walk. I'm absolutely hopeless with directions. And so... That is, it's just a major problem. It's that's mm. far more stressful than any than anything well, else. I, I think part of when you know you work in the NHS in whatever capacity, or you work in a hospital particularly, that you very quickly forget that most people aren't going there every day, mm. and because you get familiar with your environment and how it works and what the different departments mean and you know what the difference between outpatients and a ward and medical and surgical and orthopedic and all those things because oh, you know you forget that most people walking in for the first time have no idea yet they're expected to find the right department and then when you're two minutes late because you've been walking around even though you got there half an hour early you get you know told off or you feel like you're like you know, and there's such confusing places. And I think it happens a lot. The NHS is a behemoth, you know, it's the biggest employer of the country. And I think sometimes if you're working in it, you can forget that for a lot of the people you're face to face with, this is their first interaction with this beast. And then you get asked questions even as if, and it's not if I understand what, you know, every sort of industry has its jargon, but Mm. they'll sort of say things like, um, They'll be looking at a form and they go, um, okay, did uh, so did the trisa, trisagonotrist give you a, <laughs> a radio and a uh, reading? <laughs> what? what? The trisagonotrist, yeah. And uh, yeah. where's your where's your B- B- Biluvian Ancrove setting? <laughs> I mean, some of the one or two of these meetings I've had have been quite tense because I've been waiting to find out something really crucial, critical. Yeah. And 
I think there must be a better way of finding out than this. This is like Simon Cowell has devised this. Yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> tonight we find out, live or die. I, know, <laughs> I was going to say, actually, that it's like you expect them to go, uh, as they're about to give you the results, you expect them to go, but first, we're going to go for an ad break, and uh, yeah. I think it, was, it wasn't me who, who thought of that. Thought of that line. It might have been you, was it? It might have been oh, you. It was, I don't think it might else. have been one of our many chats over the last few weeks where but we've been was, in um, despair. But you do I, feel like it's it's that. It's like the end has strictly come dancing. You can feel Claudia mm. and uh, Claudia and Tess are sort of standing there, going, "This week." It won't be you that go, and it's that you know. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. it's so so scary, and yet most people. I always think this on the underground in the morning. There's a thousand people squashed together. Most people are perfectly fine, except their lot, mm. and you just put up with it, really, as you have to, and understand that most of the people in the hospital are being lovely and pleasant, and even the ones that aren't are probably is probably a good reason for it because they're as stressed as anyone, and it's. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> I think it's hard to remember sometimes that the the people giving you that news are also human beings and no one goes into medicine for the bad news bit. Like no one's like, I want to do this because I can't wait to sit down with some people and give them some really bad news. You know, that's not anyone's motivation. So that's always the last thing they want to have to do that day. Um, And so I think sometimes... It, you know, our natural instinct is when something's hard in our job is to leave it as long as possible till we have to do it. And I think sometimes that's not necessary. And I'm not saying that everyone, you know, there's people that are incredibly well trained to deliver difficult news. Mm. Um, and it's the hardest part of the job, I'm sure. And I've never been in a position where I've really had to do that, but I know people who do and are, you know, are trained in how to do it, but it's still not a part of the job that you like. And I think sometimes that weight, like you say, can just be them stealing themselves to do it as well. You know, to walk into that room and have to go deliver some news that you're not wanting to hear. Um, And I think sometimes it's easy to forget that it's all human beings doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know. Oh, um, it's the, it's the it's, reading of the minds that is so mm, – I mean, because you, you – in those uh, – well, at all times, I'm sort of – I think I'm at a point at the moment, at least, where I'm in a bit of a plateau where I think they've got mm, some idea what's going on, but which isn't uh, uh, too dreadful. But mm, uh, when it was much more uncertain – then the slightest little thing. Why is he holding the pen like that? He's holding the pen in a melancholy well, way. That's what I mean, he's doing. I'm sure doing. you won't mind me saying, Mark. I can remember phone calls with you. And it's perfectly natural where it's like, they said this, what do you think that means? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, you can't, I don't, you don't know. Of course, you're clinging onto any little sign that you think you can see or hear or, and the bottom line is they can't, tell you anything until they know, you know, they can't give you false hope um, because that's worse in a way than no, do you know what I mean? Then if they tell you everything's going to be fine and it isn't, then you're going to be pretty pissed off. So they have to be very ambivalent right up until a point where they have some certainty. And that could be really frustrating because you're like, all right, doctor, I know you can't tell me, but come on, 
I'll give you a fiver. Tell me what you really think. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what you want to do. Is I know that's you what have you to pretend you want... to be whatever. That's what the NHS needs is more corruption. Right. We need to bring it. <laughs> <laughs> if we had people in there who were willing to take a few bob to give you to it straight, then we could all be that much more comfortable. But no, the woke liberal NHS with its bloody principles. Um uh, that's coming probably, isn't it, in about 10 years? A, yeah, a, probably. A, yeah, a, a, yeah. You can get a two-tier, you can get a corrupt NHS. If you want. I know. <laughs> it's, um, uh, yeah, there's some of those some of those things where I've, I've just been, you, yeah, you literally, you're trying to read. I mean, the guy who didn't take much reading was the guy who did my biopsy, who went, mm. oh, suspicious, uh, as, oh, he was, as he was thrusting his <laughs> needle into me neck. Oh, suspicious. Uh, oh dear! So yeah, I had the yeah. dual sort of the dual entertainment of of him saying that. Well, uh, well, this need- and of course the uh, I had not because it was supposed to be a fine needle, but then he said no, it's going to need a big needle. Which I'm sure he was telling the truth. He wasn't just yeah. being malicious because he really, really hates my in town series. He would yeah, with the re- I'll show him. <laughs> he was thinking after what oh. he said about Dartford. I'm not having that. <laughs> He's getting the big needle and he only needs a little one. <laughs> so, so I was sort of, I had me, I had me back to him and my neck was a bit twisted, so I couldn't see. And he said, yeah, get the big needle. And I thought, oh, get the big needle. It's like some sketch from some 1970s sort of ITV sitcom. Get the big needle. And I'm like facing away from it and thinking. And in my mind, he's, there's this sort of Tom and Jerry type five foot needle that he's got and he's had to get three students in to help push it in carrying it in (laughs) (laughs) well it's I I do feel I remember I think I told you about this when I had a biopsy so I had a breast lump Mm. a couple of years ago which was um, it it wasn't cancer but there was a a tense couple of weeks while I waited for biopsy results and at first they thought it was a cyst and so I went in for the biopsy and the lady was ever so nice. And she said exactly that. We're going to do the fine needle aspiration, it's called. Yeah. And she said, because it's a cyst, it'll probably just burst it. And then we know what we're dealing with. And, you know, that's all fine. And she put the needle in and she just really just sort of went, okay, well, it hasn't burst. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> so, oh. so we're going to take a biopsy. And I really felt for her because everyone was so sure it was going to burst and I'd go home and that was that. But she was like, okay, so we'll have to do a biopsy. It's two-week wait. And I'm like, hang on a minute. I thought this was going to burst. So, you know, they do have to be – they, yeah, they yeah. call it – I remember when I was um, uh, training, we, they used to call it the nurse's mask. That, you know, whatever horror or you're faced with, you have to look very neutral as much as you can, um, you know. And I just – I remember seeing this woman's face thinking – Oh, that mask is really doing its work right now. Right, right. I can see she's going, oh shit. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Oh um, god. Yes, it's like being know. a like being an air stewardess, I suppose. Because yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of flying. So when it starts bumping about for some reason, and you always mm. look to the steward, and you know, if you looked at one and they were going, fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone now. <laughs> <laughs> Someone told me who was who was in a very um uh, who was in a very very difficult place cancer wise at one mm. point and has got through it remarkably due to sort of extraordinary series of of um techniques that when mm. they were having chemotherapy they said he met the same people every week in the wards 
so oh, oh, here we all are again, having our weekly chemo, and you become a little bit of a community. And he said, yeah. most people sort of you know, just sat there, accepted what was happening. And then there were a few people who were very angry. Why should this be happening to me? I don't see why, why you know, that. Uh, and yeah. I, you know, I just I retired three years ago. You think I could have a few years without all this happening? And he said that the nurses all said that the people who had that attitude took far longer to recover than the people who accepted it. Mm. I don't it's know. It's so no. hard because there's no, you know, none of us can say how we'll react until it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you don't know what's going on in someone's life as aside from that. And I think, like, your attitude is very much right. Well, let's face this and get this done. And that's, you know. And different people get different news as well. Prognoses are slightly different. So, you know, like you say, at the moment, you're in a good position prognosis-wise. And so it's like, I've got to get through this thing. And there's, you know, the other... I know roughly what's on the other side, hopefully, Mm. you know. And and I think that attitude will serve you well of just going, right, well, there's no point in, you know, dwelling on it. Let's just get this done. And But I think sometimes it, it's really interesting. I think it was Danny Baker who said, and our good friend Phil Gerrard, who sadly um, passed mm. away a couple of years ago, he very much felt this way about his cancer, was um, that attitude of, uh, you know, people talk, use a lot of language about fighting and mm. battling and things like that. But of course, when you have cancer, your amount of agency is quite minimal compared yeah. to that of the surgeons and the people treating yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the way Danny Baker put it was, I'm not fighting it. I'm the surgeons are fighting it. I'm the battleground. Yeah. And brilliant. I think that's, that's brilliant. like how phil felt as well was like i you know so i think the minute you start using and some people like to use that language and it helps them and that's great i think for some people when you start talking about their fight and their survivors and they've got strength and all of this if they don't come through the other side they're basically they failed in some way. Yeah, oh, you didn't come through because you weren't strong enough. Or you didn't fight yeah. hard enough. And that's not fair either because, you know, people are dealing with different things. Yeah, yeah, and, it's total you know, luck. I mean, it, you know, when I yeah. – uh, one, I think the, the thing that what I have learned and I, I sort of – I knew it because I'd heard people say it, but one, it's one of those many things that you don't really know until you experience it. I – all of my um, – all of my sort of notions of where this was going was, have I or haven't I got cancer? And wiser people were telling me, it's not that black and white. It's not that you haven't got cancer, fantastic, you have got cancer, catastrophe. That's not it now. That now you've got cancer, that means you've got a disease that you've got to, that, that, that medical people will try and almost certainly put right. And that's yeah. that's so different from how it would have been. So there was an amazing moment um, in my last meeting with the doctor when he said, uh, we, we really need to, we, you know, at one point back in the old days, he said, uh, there would have been a lot of chemotherapy involved with this. And now, not so sure, there might be a little bit, but not but not much or maybe not at all. And then he said, mm. by back in the old days, I mean, five years ago. Wow. So the the advances are so extraordinary that it's yeah. just I don't know I wonder now how many people the percentage of people that in the last 
10 years who have been told you've got cancer, how many have, have, have gone on to be clear of it? I would imagine it's quite a big majority. Yeah, I mean, like you say, that the word cancer, it, it triggers so much in us. Um, and and more than any other condition I can possibly think of. Yet the prognosis of cancer isn't always dramatic and terrible. It sometimes is. It, but it's the broad range of, you know, from having a mole removed through to the other end where things don't turn out well. Mm. And and so, but that word cancer has put such, well, obviously puts a fear in all of us because most of most people either, you know, have seen someone that they care about have a, a bad experience or haven't, but only know what they see in films and on TV where it's, you know. Yeah, that's and, the trouble, and, isn't it? It's always bad yeah. in the films. It's always fucking bad. Yeah. It's always sort um, of terms of endearment or love story or there's not bloody, that's, that's the next thing they need to, never mind about bloody representation of fucking Native Americans or whatever it is, representation of people who've had cancer who come out all right. Yeah, or just, you know, add a mole removed and then they were fine. <laughs> yeah, or, you know. And the film ends after seven the minutes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, thank God for that. Yeah. Ooh. Well, it's been marvellous talking to you. There's not many good sides to cancer, but at least it means we get to chat for half an hour of, a, yeah. of an and afternoon. Yeah, and I do think it's important <laughs> to talk about it, you know, like to be serious for a sec, because it is such a scary word. And the outcome, you know, for a lot of people will know, everyone will know someone whose outcome wasn't great, but it's important to talk about the, the sort of broadness of what it can mean. And actually it's not always a catastrophe and it's not always yes it's usually not know. a catastrophe i think that's what i've mm. that's what i mean of course you know we all know and i mean i don't know i think one of the things that seems to cause it more than smoking or drinking is being a comic uh, well seems- yeah i mean we've all got friends yeah friends we've lost recently and it's that you can't not have that in your mind yes can you? you- no you can't but yeah. uh, um but usually it's not a far more people have. so it's a terrible thing to see everything through the prism of your own situation but uh mm. when uh lovely rod gilbert announced a new tour this week i thought yeah there you are see see be all right <laughs> <laughs> thank you so you much go. angela a total pleasure anytime mate now we know what the fuck is going on Now, if you'd like to hear more of that interview with Angela, then you can join us on Patreon, where there is an extended version available. And it is thanks to our wonderful, virtuous, radiant Patreon supporters that we can now continue our quest to find out what the fuck is going on. Just follow the link on our Twitter page or go to www.patreon.com, type in what the F is going on, and for as little as £2 a month, you'll get early access to ad-free. Ad-free? versions of the regular episode ad ad nothing is ad free now people shout adverts at you in the street they're paid to walk behind you and scream we buy any card.com stuff like that in your face this is ad free or if you really want to know what's going on for just four pounds a month you'll get a longer ad free version of the episode with extended versions of the guest interviews, extra Elliot, you'll get bonus sketches. This week, there's Fred Truman giving his considered thoughts on attitudes to cancer in his own day. Uh, all our Patreon supporters get the episodes on Friday nights, unlike everyone else who has to wait 
until Saturday mornings, sometimes flying around the world to the Pacific Ocean in the hope that their Saturday morning will come earlier because they're at the start of when the time changes, however that works. So go to www.patreon.com and type in what the F is going on to join the WTF community. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Amongst the many people who have been in touch with me over the last few days, I was very pleased to receive this message from George Galloway. Let me put it to you, cancer. Your cellular mutations and biological malfunctions may invade the bodily form, but your occupation will be short-lived. Scientific and medical advances will assault into oblivion the ignoble incursions of metastatic rearrangement you have anticipated as the heroic peoples of Vietnam repelled the imperialist nincompoops of the United States of America, leaving you to flee the healing body from a roof in helicopters and examine your own downfall. In addition, I shall endeavour to make speeches at the cancerous cells, proselytising with such momentum that each of them in turn retreats in disarray until the entirety of the disease is frazzled into an ignominious heap of bewilderment fit only for the binliner of history. That cancer is why I shall relish your demise and furthermore shall participate in a 5K fun run to be held in Pollock Country Park in Glasgow on an as-yet-unspecified date, an athletic contest in which I shall no doubt triumph over my competitors that shall include Ed Balls, Bradley Walsh and Mo Farah. In return, I ask only that Mr. Steele names his renewed lymph glands after me, George I and George II. Podcastees of the podcast WTF community has come to that time of the week where we make the announcements the time of the week when everybody stops the way that people maybe did in the 1950s when there was a, a huge announcement about, I don't know, and in India independence or something, or maybe even in 1939, that time, that was a proper, used to get proper announcements in the old days. I'm afraid that no such undertaking has been received. He must have loved it, that king. No wonder he learned to stop stuttering. But 
this week, well, there's not a lot of... Well, I've made one announcement. It's not a bad announcement, is it? I've got a fucking horrible, stinking, shitty illness. But uh, uh, nonetheless, there are other announcements. Normally, I announce, uh, oh, I'm going to be in... <laughs> I'm going to be in Macclesfield on this date, and I'm going to be in Sunderland on that date. But the announcement this week is that I'm not going to be in any of those places on any dates uh, just for a while. Oh, they will all be... They're being postponed. They're not being cancelled. So they all the shows that I will have been going to from October the, I don't know, 11th onwards, I think, would have been the next one, something like that, 10th or 11th onwards. All of those from now until uh, Christmas will be postponed and I will be doing them again. Uh, well, we will have to see what way... Oh, are these cells inside me that are all got to be frizzled out, um, the, the ones we don't want, I hope they understand the responsibility they have, that there are people in places such as Tring and Doncaster depending on that all getting sorted. Uh, but I'm sure they'll know what they're doing and they'll all come to their senses. Um, of course, do you know what? what <laughs> it's absolutely true, I'm sure. There will be one person who will go, well, never mind that, that. What about me? I've bought these tickets, and uh, I was—I've actually cancelled my night at the <laughs> my night at the badminton club for this. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you may well have been diagnosed with this, that, and the other, but I think it's a pretty poor show. I will be disappointed if there isn't one person <laughs> who sends a message like that. And now, once again, we're delighted to be able to bring you an extract from the post-Brexit diaries of Britain's most patriotic man, Nigel Boulevard. The other day, as I stopped off at my local, the Fox and Wooden, I reflected on how marvellous it is that this great country of ours is once again free to treat its own cancer patients. No longer do we have to comply with the European cancer quota, which meant that if an Italian got cancer, then someone in Bristol had to be given a similar diagnosis whether or not there was anything wrong with them. Worse still, under an EU agreement with Iceland, British fishermen were forced to give every one of our herring cancer so that they had to have chemotherapy, meaning their hair fell out, reducing the value of the fish because they were bored. All to satisfy the overlords of Brussels. Now, after years of being subject to EU directives, our doctors can once again treat cancer with traditional British cures, such as rubbing a conker on the affected area or dissolving one drop of mustard into a can of Vimto and doing cross-country in your underpants. Cures which meant that not one of my fellow pupils at Dulwich College ever got cancer, although three boys died of hypothermia and we all had a jolly good laugh about it. Mine's a pint of Archbishop's tumour. Cheers! What the fuck is going on? As anyone knows who has ever tried to find out what the fuck is going on uh, with their own body when it starts going wrong, <laughs> you need the voice of youth. It's very, very important to breed someone to be able to uh, uh, hang around you <laughs> when that happens. Luckily... 27 years and a few months ago, Elliot Steele was born for exactly that purpose. Hello. Hello. Uh, yeah, this has all been a been a game then, hasn't it? So, 
Um, yeah, it's all been a bit long. I, I, I thought you were massively overreacting at first. Yes. Well, I can remember what you sort of... So I told you when I was up in Edinburgh, I come up to Edinburgh and you were doing the show there. And mm. I thought, oh, I've got to tell Elliot about this. And uh, I can't quite remember how that conversation went. What was it? You told me while we were at Moss Kitchen getting a curry. Right. And I thought, I've, I've, I've not got enough going on at the moment, so thanks for this. Cheers <laughs> <laughs> for that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was aware that you were having a really good time up in Edinburgh. And that, but you know what? That's a, that's a really good point, actually, is that if you've got something like this, you think, I don't want to, I don't, I mean, especially with your own family, but with anyone, you think, oh, I don't really want to bring someone down and mm. by telling them I've got cancer. Because um, it does, when you're a comic, you, you don't want to make the room more miserable, do you? Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, you're right. But no, 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 you told me, I, I thought, oh, it'll be, it'll be fine. It'll just be, it'll be to do with your show or something. You thought like it was singing. to do with my show? No, because of like singing and that and, oh. uh, you know, we, something like that. Uh, and then as, as the weeks went on, it, it turned out that I, I wasn't quite the expert I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a sort of, you know, and that's, it was like that for me as well, because I kept thinking, oh, at some point I'm going to go to one of these things and they're going to go, what? what are you doing here? This is nothing. Mm. I kept thinking that at any point that was going to, and every time I, I sort of went to another thing, the doctors, radiologists, the, uh, the consultant, and they would go, mm, okay, then, yes, this does look like cancer. Every time that happened, I thought, "Oh, shit! This is this is real." Then, so it is a, it is a, yeah, it is that strange feeling. So for you, it probably must have been quite similar, I guess. Yeah, well, it's weird because you just like you don't think it is that, but also because like cancer is such a weird. When I was a kid, if someone got cancer, that was like, "Oh fuck!" Yeah. Whereas now, it seems like if someone gets cancer, it's quite treatable. It's quite yeah, he's like when and it, it in the last couple of weeks when we speak to the doctor, it, it seems pretty, you know, treatable, and that's quite an interesting development in the world. Um, it's more was, than was, treatable; it's it's curable. I've learned the difference. Between, I would have thought that I'd have thought all oh, treatable, that's good, mm. but now I know that it all of it is treatable in some way or another. But this it is cure most of it is curable. Well, that that um, because I was wondering, right, at what point? Because when when people get cancer, there's a weird thing that happens, uh, especially if they then go terminal, like having having sort of seen what happened with Jeremy, and like people that I know about cancer and end up dying. There's a weird. There's a point of the stage of the cancer, of the someone around them goes fucking mental, and starts going. I've been watching these videos, and apparently, mm. if you get this jackfruit mm. from Hawaii that the FDA tried to have that uh, mm. and Fauci tried to have that covered up So because this kills cancer and I was thinking oh, at what point am I going to do that <laughs> right? what point am I going to just start getting into some arrows. weird conspiracy arrows but they have to be yeah. mint arrows yeah the cancer can't survive the minty freshness of them <laughs> the well, what's amazing, what I've, I mean, I've learned so much about it all in the last two, three months, but one of the things is that 
use the sort of the, the assumption that there is a cure, that there is a magic pill that will just cure it, is is completely uh, based on misinformation. That in fact, there's a thousand things, probably more than a thousand things, that in each particular case can work like this, can encourage the cells to do that. I've heard amazing things. Someone I know um, uh, that many people in comedy know, Peter Graham, who was in terrible state. And there, there was a clinical trial where the way he described it was, there was, uh, the doctor said, if you come off chemo, which will make you feel very ill, and, you're, and he was really, really, it had a terrible prognosis. They said, we can chase all these cancers. I mean, I can't believe this is sort of how they talked about it, but apparently they did. We can chase all these different cancers into the liver. And once we've chased them all into the liver, like some sort of like cancer shepherd, then we can operate on the liver because the liver regrows like a worm. You cut it in half and it regrows. So, I mean, if someone told you that, you'd, you'd think... Mm well, that's not far off the madness of the aero cure. Mm. But they chate, that's what they did. And then they said, oh, excellent news. Your liver's absolutely packed full of cancer, but it's gone from everywhere else. And then they chopped his liver in half. And last week I went out for a curry with him and he's fine. Right, so wow. A, yeah. That's in, that's incredible. Isn't it? That, that Yeah. But uh, do, do you think all these people like, do you think there's a thing now because people don't understand stuff but they're too ignorant to understand that they don't understand something, that they're maybe not smart enough to get it, that they then go, well, it must be this conspiracy theory that I've heard of them. Yeah, I guess so. that's I, the only I, thing that makes sense. It's like like, like flat earthers. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Like, I, don't, more, I don't understand. Mm. Like, I don't really understand why water doesn't just fall off of the planet at the bottom of the planet and people know it's gravity. I don't really, I'd be lying if I went to you, I get that. But I, I, I trust that that's just me being too stupid to understand it rather than, no, that must mean the earth's flat because I'm I, I'm too smart. Like it's just me, I just go, oh yeah, I, I guess that makes sense to someone was <laughs> not me that <laughs> it's not yeah, true yeah, yeah well it is i mean it is, it's funny isn't it i remember you yeah you do have to i think with science you do have to have a humility and a sense of trust you do have to go like when the first time you hear someone go how does sound work well there are waves and of course there's a bit of you who talk about waves i can't see no fucking waves if i shout yeah. or bang something what well, there waves are there but yeah, well, there are ways, but you can't see. You just have to trust that these physicists are telling the truth, and that's why they are able to build radios, and you mm. can't. So, because you don't, and yeah, exactly. And with these people, when you sit there, I mean, you've been in the meetings with me, and they go, "Right, this is what's happening." I don't. For all I know, they're making it up. Uh, I really, really think it's unlikely <laughs> that they're making all of this up. And I haven't got cancer, and I've just swallowed a golf ball. Yeah, and that's what's caused the lump. <laughs> there, there is <laughs> the, that. the next meeting, I go, Mister Stiller. There's the one thing I have to ask you. you have you been doing the fucking uh, accents all podcast? Let me just ask this now. Yeah, I'm good. Don't, yeah. don't do, don't do that. Well, what? Why not? I'm just just because it's it's all right. All right, you do it. Well, what's wrong with that? You, have you have you been doing the the Asian doctors as well? Might have been. Right. Well, 
<laughs> okay. You think good luck with that? Well, that see where all this started was, and uh, I, I've mentioned this already. That, but the sort of the low point for me, not just the low point of the last few weeks, but probably the low point of my entire existence, was that meeting where the yeah, guy that was, that was started and. Uh, and it, it, and he he started the meeting. I, I might I might have misremembered the details of it, but my the, the most important point was he started. As far as I remember it, the first words were, "I'm afraid it's not good news, Mister Steele." Yeah, he he he. I left that meeting thinking, "Oh fuck, we're going to go into this consultation tomorrow." Because he wouldn't like, he would kind of tell us the vibe, but wouldn't tell us any information. Yeah. So, but uh, I thought you were going into a meeting to be told, like, uh, this has come up from your stomach yeah. and your lungs and it's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. That was the vibe he gave. That's what I thought, yeah. Because uh, he said at one point, he's mentioned he had the results, but he wasn't going to tell you them, mm. which you missed, which I took as. Oh, you don't want to be the one to tell someone he's dying. Basically, mm. that was like, and the way he was delivering the news was all very, very uh, pessimistic. Um, and also, what then, I didn't get because I was sort of, you know, yeah. probably trying to process it all, uh, was when I said to him, I, I, "I'm pretty sure I did say this." I said, "Is this deadly?" Mm. And I didn't really, I. He sort of said, oh, it's treatable. But I missed the other thing he said before that, that you got. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why when you said, is this deadly? And he went, well, it, it, it all counts as treatable or something. And then didn't he say, touch wood? Touch wood, yeah. And then he yeah. touched wood. And I was like, no. Well, at least he touched the wood. Well, yeah. But so I was give like, him, let's a, give him credit. But you're a doctor. That you, I don't want you believing in like mythical Superstitious science, <laughs> motherfucker. Like you've got, like you've got. Like, it's this treatable. Whole, this whole with, institution with... is based on science. This is <laughs> it's treatable what? with with possibly aero with its minty freshness. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got a whole box of them under the desk. <laughs> Oh God! All right. Well, we shall we shall return to this subject uh, in the future. <laughs> Thank you very much, Elliot Steele. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, rate it, and if you could be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, definitely write a review. Concentrate on nothing else. Abandon everybody in your life and spend the next four years in a retreat, maybe in Tibet writing a review if there is anything at all that you think i should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it please send me a message on twitter at wtf is going on pod at wtf is going on pod and we will look at every message that you send if you would like to become a wtf supporter for as little as two pounds a month and get early access to ad free that's ad free and extended versions please visit our patreon page what the fuck is going on was hosted by me mark Steele, with my guests angela barnes and elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander. It was written by Mark Steele and Pete Sinclair. The music was by Willie Dowling. It was produced by Mike Benwell at Carousel Studios. What the fuck is going on was brought to you by WTF Productions. WTF.